Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. No other event in all of human history has been as discussed and debated and dissected as the cross. The cross. There's probably no more recognized symbol in all the world. The cross means different things to different people. To some, it's a piece of jewelry to be worn. To others, it's simply a religious relic. So, what does the cross mean to you? Even though the cross was an event that occurred 2,000 years ago, ladies and gentlemen, it is still a place that you and I can go in a way that only God understands, ladies and gentlemen. You and I can go spiritually. We can go to that place. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. Today, we're in week two of our series entitled Experience, and we're looking to the most important event in the history of the world, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. As Pastor Clay is going to explain in today's message, there were a number of eyewitnesses gathered there on that hill outside Jerusalem the day Jesus was crucified, including the religious leaders who had Jesus falsely arrested and condemned to death. There were the Roman soldiers who carried out the sentence and placed Jesus on the cross. And there were the thieves on either side of Jesus as he hung there that day suspended between heaven and earth, paying the sin debt for mankind. We're glad you've joined us today for this special edition of Crosswalk as we turn to Luke chapter 23 and experience the cross. Today is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, uh, historically, is uh, a recognition or remembrance of the day that Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem on the, on the colt of a donkey, rode in on the donkey's back, and as he came into town, into Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, there was great anticipation building because they were looking for a Messiah. If you've been around cross-culture, you know, you've, heard, you've heard me say that before. They were looking, the Jewish people 2,000 years ago were looking for a Messiah. And that word Messiah means, means Christ. It means uh, deliverer. It means anointed one. And uh, so they're looking for that person. Now, they, they had the wrong perspective. They were looking for a guy who was going to come and overthrow the Roman government and establish Israel back to its heyday, its glory days. Uh, they, they missed that he was actually going to come uh, to, to take away the greater oppressor that they had, their own sin. Thank you. Um, but, but still, they're looking for this Messiah, and Jesus is coming in, and everybody says, hey, hey, uh, Jesus of Nazareth is coming, Jesus of Nazareth is coming, and uh, in fulfillment to an Old Testament uh, prophecy, they began to take off their garments and lay them down on the road uh, that the donkey would walk on, and they took palm branches, they began to wave these palm branches, and they were yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God, Hosanna, which means save now, and it was a, it was a term that, that, that was used to, that when the, the, when the Messiah came, that he would... He would save them. He would deliver them. Again, they misunderstood what he was going to deliver them from. But still the point is there was much anticipation about that. That event is what today is, Palm Sunday. 2,000 years later, we're still remembering. It's on the news this morning that in Jerusalem, uh, followers of Jesus were reenacting the whole Palm Sunday thing and laying down the palm, uh, waving the palm branches and all that sort of thing this morning outside of, of Jerusalem uh, in a remembrance of that. Next week, of course, is Resurrection Sunday, and I'm going to have a lot to say about a big, empty hole in the ground. But before we get there, 
today we're going to spend some time talking about the cross and experiencing the cross. It is ironic that Jesus came into town to fanfare and, and cheering and, and, and this celebratory uh, mood that everybody was in, and yet in just a few short days they would be putting him to death. We're going to talk about that event, the cross. No other event in all of human history, I think I can safely say that, no other event in all of human history has been as discussed and debated and dissected as the cross. Let's read about it today. We're in Luke chapter 23, reading from verses 33 through 49 this morning. Luke 23, beginning in verse 33, let's experience the cross. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by, looking on. And even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, And rebuking him, said, Do you not even fear God, since we are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today... You shall be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour because the sun was obscured and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus crying out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now, when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds who came together for this spectacle, when they observed what had happened, began to return, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance, seeing these things. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, um, every day... Every day is life. Every day is an opportunity to live for your honor and for your glory or to live for ourselves. That's really the choice that we make. Each Sunday, we have the privilege of being a part of a local body of believers like this one here at Cross Culture. Each Sunday, when we have the the health and the strength and the the willingness to come and to work and to set up and to, to prepare and then to gather in here and to, 
to greet and to smile and to sing and to pray and to worship, to hear your word. Each Sunday that we get a chance to do that is, is wonderful and special. But today, Lord God, I believe carries perhaps even more significance because we are talking about the cross. It is holy ground for fully devoted followers of Jesus. It is a place where justice meets grace, where your son sacrificed himself so that we might become the sons and daughters of God. Today in this room are all kinds of people, all different ages, backgrounds, skin colors, whatever else, Lord God. We're, we're different people, but we all share the same malady. We're all sinners. We've all said, done, or thought things that you would not desire or have us to do, and that makes us sinners. And so we all have the same need in our life, and that is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And some of us have settled that issue. Some of us have come to a place in our life where we recognize that and we trust that you as Lord and Savior and we've been redeemed and adopted into the family of God and we have experienced so great a love that we talked about last week that you brought to us. Some perhaps in this room are still thinking about this or maybe hearing it for one of the first times in their life or maybe they're just questioning whether the whole thing is real or genuine or, or whatever else. Father, ultimately you're the one that has to do the work people's lives. We present the truth of your word. We present what we know to be true based on on simply your word, but also based on empirical evidence that exists and things that point to the reality of these events. We know the cross took place. We know historically this event took place 2,000 years ago. But today, as we talk about it, Lord, may it still have its effect in the lives of each of us in this place. We are honored to be on holy ground in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. I want to just share as quickly as I can this morning some ideas about this Luke 23 passage, this account. Uh, the, gospel, the other gospel writers give us an account of the crucifixion. This is Luke's account of the crucifixion. And there's some things that I think we can draw out of that that, uh, that are important for our lives. The first one... Uh, looks like this this morning. Complete forgiveness was offered at the cross. Complete, total, absolute forgiveness was offered at the cross. I want to read verse 33 and 34 to you again and then point some things out. It says, When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. That last phrase there in verse 34, and they cast lots, dividing up his garments among them, is not just some useless piece of trivia that Luke just want it to give. You know, us guys, we can be that way sometimes, right? We can just give useless pieces of trivia because we know it and we want to. And you might look at that and say, well, Luke clearly is a guy and he's giving. No, there's more to it than that. Look at this passage of scripture uh, from Psalm 22. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing, they cast lots. That sounds very similar to what we just read in Luke twenty-three thirty-four. does it not? 
Psalm 22 is what is known as a messianic psalm. What that means is it was a passage of Scripture written about the Messiah, about when the Messiah would come. In the case of Psalm 22, it writes specifically and amazingly accurately about the crucifixion that that the Messiah would endure, that what he would go through on your behalf and on my behalf so that our sins might be redeemed. What makes it so remarkable to me, what makes it so amazing to me is that Psalm 22 Verse 18 was written, are you ready for this? A thousand years before the event took place. A thousand years. Somebody might say, well, maybe that's just a coincidence. That's a good one. Uh, Maybe it's just a coincidence. Maybe maybe the the writer of Psalm 22, uh, maybe he experienced something similar to that. And so he, he was writing about that. Well, number one, it'd be pretty hard for him to write about it because he'd be dead if he wrote that about himself. But maybe, maybe it's just, maybe he went through something like that and, and so he's writing about it. No. For one thing, there is absolutely no historical evidence that the act of crucifixion as a punishment even existed at that time in the world. Hadn't even been invented yet. Secondly, we know historically, that David, the writer of the 22nd Psalm, never went through anything like what he describes in Psalm 22. Now, I say all that just to say that what sometimes may appear as some insignificant passage of Scripture, some insignificant verse, is in fact God confirming again and again and again the truthfulness of His Word, and that it is what we can count on and what we can bank on, and that God's Word comes to us in a supernatural way. God, one more time, is reminding us that men wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, meaning that the Holy Spirit guided them as they wrote these words so that what they recorded was truth without any mixture of error in it whatsoever. It's not just men writing a book so that they can try and talk you into believing in God. It is God using men in a way that they would record His message, His will, his desire for our lives so that that could be revealed to us. Now, most of you are familiar with what Jesus endured leading up to this moment where they're hanging on the cross. By this point, he has been falsely accused, illegally arrested. He has been mocked. He has been ridiculed. He has been spat upon. He has been punched in his face According to the description, parts of his beard have been ripped out. He has been beaten, as the saying goes, within an inch of his life with what was known as a cat of nine tails. Basically a a long, probably wooden stick with nine individual leather strips attached to the end of it. And inside uh, each one of those leather strips would be jagged pieces of bone or rock or metal that would be used to rake across the body of the individual that the cat of nine tails was being inflicted upon. He has had this this mocking crown made out of thorns jammed into his scalp. And then the nails are driven in his hands and his feet after he is forced to carry his cross out of Pilate's processional, down the streets of Jerusalem, up to this hill that Luke simply refers to as the skull, the place of the skull. 
We don't know whether it was called that because the hill actually has that shape, which some people believe, or was it called that simply because it was a place of death? In Greek, the word is cranian, which was the language of the New Testament. In Hebrew and Aramaic, the the common language of the people of Israel that day, it was Golgotha. For Pilate and the Roman soldiers, it was Calvaria in the Latin. But no matter how you say it, it was a place of unimaginable pain and heartache and suffering and shame and torture. It was a place of death. And it is good for us to remember that. It is good for us to remember. But I don't like to look at that. I don't like to look at it either. But you and I need to look at it. We need to remember what it is exactly that the Son of God endured on our behalf. It was that kind of place. But it's also good for us to remember that as strange as it may seem, that this place of suffering and hurt and heartache and and punishment and pain, that this place also is a place of peace, a place of hope, a place of promise for you and me. That's that place. And complete forgiveness was offered there that day. I I have no idea how this could possibly happen, but Jesus is, is... is nailed to his cross. He's lifted up, suspended there between heaven and earth. And the first words out of his mouth are, Father, forgive them. Can you even begin to fathom that type of grace or forgiveness? Father, forgive them? Father, forgive them? I'm astounded by those words. They're yelling, crucify him. He's yelling, Father, forgive them. It truly is amazing love. That we're talking about here. Even though the cross was an event that occurred 2,000 years ago, ladies and gentlemen, it is still a place that you and I can go. In a way that, that I, I guess only God really fully understands, because obviously physically we can't go back, you and I can't go back 2,000 years in time, in a way that only God understands, ladies and gentlemen, you and I can go spiritually, we can go to that place. We can see the Son of God, the Savior of the world, hanging on the cross. We can see my sin hanging on him, wretched and putrid like a filthy garment hanging on the Son of God. My sin placed him there. And you know why he did that? He did that so that he might take that filthy, wretched unrighteousness off of me and off of you and put onto you his righteousness. Here's the way the prophet Isaiah puts it. I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God. I, I can't, I'm just, I'm ecstatic. For he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. I'm like a bridegroom in his wedding suit, a bride with her jewels on. Look at me, Woo-hoo, look at me, look what God has done for me. It was a place where complete forgiveness was offered. And the miraculous thing is, ladies and gentlemen, I've got to move on. But the miraculous thing is, it's still a place where complete forgiveness is being offered today. As I said, we can't go back there physically 2,000 years ago. But by faith, understanding what God did for us, we can go there and find God's forgiveness still available for us. I, I, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, but um, one of the folks that's a regular part of cross-culture, uh, Hillary, uh, when Last year when Hillary began to attend cross-culture and God was really kind of working in his life and we got together and we, we were talking some and uh, just talking about 
you know, what it was that God did for us. And I remember uh, Hillary kind of stopping me, and uh, he said, he said, no, he said I, I understand what God did. What I don't understand is why God did it. Why would God, I remember him specifically saying, why would God do that for me? I, I didn't have an answer for Hillary then. I don't have an answer today. I don't know. I have no idea why God would do that, ladies and gentlemen, except to simply say that he loves us that much. Complete forgiveness was offered at the cross. Here's a second idea uh, this morning as we're looking at this text. Complete forgiveness was rejected at the cross. Uh, Look at verse 35. It says, And the people stood by looking on, and even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If this is the Christ of God, his chosen one, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Something struck me about this text. I, I, I don't know. I, I, thousands of times I've read Luke's and the other gospel writers' accounts. Thousands of times I would, it's safe to say I have read the account of the crucifixion. Something struck me this uh, week as I was working on this sermon that I don't think I'd ever thought of before. And that is that all three of the individual or groups mentioned there, the religious leaders, the soldiers, and the, the angry thief, all three of them mention that Jesus is the Christ, or Jesus, that, that have knowledge that Jesus claimed to be the Christ, and therefore has the ability to come down off of the cross. If he's, let him save himself. He said he save us, let him save himself. If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. If you're the Christ, save yourself and us. Now that means two things that I, I don't think I'd ever thought of before. That means two things. That means, for one thing, it must have been widely known that Jesus claimed to be the Christ, the Messiah. Otherwise, there's no reason, certainly no reason that this, the, the religious leaders would have made that claim. No reason that the soldiers would have gotten in on the thief. It must have been widely known that Jesus claimed to be the Christ, the Messiah, the one who is going to come. Now, I say that because there are people today that said Jesus never claimed any of that stuff. He was just a good guy that got caught up in a big political mess and somehow got himself killed. No, they must have understood this. It also means something else. It also means that the people of Israel, when they're looking for their Messiah, they're looking for somebody that's supernatural. In other words, they're not just looking for some political leader. They thought it would be politically involved what he's going to do, but they're not, they understand that, the, that this guy is supernatural. Otherwise, why would you ever say, well, you can just come down off the cross. If you're the Christ, you can come down off the cross. Mere men can't come down off the cross. So they understood that, that, that he claimed to be Christ, and they understood that when the Christ came, that he was going to be supernatural, that he was going to be the Son of God. And yet they still reject him. Was, let's start with the religious leaders. They are sneering at him, the text says. The Greek word is ekmukterizo, from the root word mukter, which means nose. Ladies and gentlemen, they are literally thumbing their nose in the face of God. Ah, he says he can save people, he can't even save himself. They're literally thumbing their nose 
in the face of God. The religious leaders, in my opinion, represent the people who don't think they need the cross. They're good enough. They can get it done. They, they have the ability. They can be a good enough person. They can do enough good works. They can impress enough people or impress God or give enough money or whatever it is that they can do. And that, and that they're going to be, they don't need somebody to suffer for them. They don't need somebody to bleed and die for them. They can, they can just get it done themselves. The soldiers get in on the act. Now, quite frankly, I don't think the soldiers gave much of a flip either way about this thing. They didn't like the Jews, and they didn't care for the Jews' Messiah, especially if this is how he ends up. They don't think much of, of the Jews and their God at all. To me, the soldiers represent the people that just think this whole thing is a big joke. This whole God and Jesus and dying on a cross and... It's all, it's all just a big joke. We don't need any of that stuff. It's ridiculous. Religion is, for, is a crutch for weak-minded people. It's, a, it's just some thing we've dragged with us from antiquity. And, and now that we're educated men and women, we need to just lose all of that. That's who the soldiers represent to me. It's, it's just all a big joke. It doesn't, this is all about my life and living me. Paul just mentions them, I think. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, when he says, For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness. This is just foolishness. And then there is this, the thief, the angry thief on the cross. To me, the thief on the cross represents the people that want to come to Jesus for what they can get out of it, but without any intention of changing, without ever any intention of surrender, Hey, if you're the Christ, you know, come on, you can just get down off here and and get me down off of this mess too. I know people like that. Just come to Jesus for what I can get out of it, but without any intention of surrender. Do you understand that's what Christianity is? Do you understand what following Jesus means? It means surrender, complete and absolute and unconditional. That's what it is. They rejected him. There's still people that reject him today for all different reasons. Some think they're too good. Some think it's, they don't need it. Some think it's too silly. Some are too busy. Let me give you one good reason for accepting it. God loves you. He really does. Let's look at the third one real quickly. Complete forgiveness was asked for at the cross. But the other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God since you are under the... Same sentence of condemnation. And we, are in, and we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. It's unclear what exactly this man knew about Jesus prior to or up until this moment. We, we don't know exactly. What we do know is some of the other gospel writers tell us that both of the thieves, remember there were two thieves, Jesus in the middle, Jesus in the middle, two thieves on either side. We know that the other gospel writers tell us that both thieves initially were rejecting Jesus. Both thieves initially were were ridiculing him and mocking him and like everybody else was. But something happened to this guy. Somewhere along the way, somewhere in those hours that they're hanging on the cross, something changed. And what I think changed this man was what he saw in Jesus. Because you don't you don't offer forgiveness to people that, that beat you and spit on you and nail you to a cross. You, don't, you just don't do that unless there's something different about you. And I think this man, drawn by the Holy Spirit, saw that and he responded to it. 
and he accepts this gift that God offers to him. It's interesting if you look at this, uh, what this man says in response to this, what he says very closely mirrors what is sometimes or used to be referred to, I don't know if people still refer to it nowadays, but it used to be referred to in the old days as what's called the sinner's prayer. What a person would pray to invite Jesus Christ into their life. Let me just run down that, through that with you. First, he acknowledges that God will judge him. You notice in there where he said, do you not fear God? You, you can read between the lines, but what he's saying, me and you both are about to check out of here and we're going to stand before God. Or do you not, are you not afraid? He acknowledges that God will and has the right to judge him. Second, he acknowledges that he's a sinner and getting exactly what he deserves. For we are, it's what he says, he says, justly, we're suffering justly. We're getting what we deserve. We were thieves. We were hellions. We were whatever they were. Whatever all they were. We we deserve this. Third, he acknowledges that Jesus is without sin. He says, but this man has done nothing wrong. In other words, he recognizes that Jesus is able to pay for his sins because he is himself sinless. Jesus, that is. And then finally... He acknowledges his faith in Jesus as Lord and King and submits himself to Jesus' authority. Jesus, he says, remember me when you come in your kingdom. That, ladies and gentlemen, there's no, what comes from a person's heart, that's what salvation is. An acknowledgement that, that we are sinners and that we're separated from God and that God can and will judge us because he is a just God. Because justice should be served in understanding that Christ died for our sins and asking Him to be our Lord and our Savior. That's the great thing about this, is that He does it. All right, let me, let me quickly give you one more idea today. Complete forgiveness was provided at the cross. It was not only asked for, it was provided. Jesus says, and He said to him, I truly say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. How do you think that sounded to that guy? It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. Because the sun was obscured, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. What do you think that sounded like to that thief on the cross, who clearly has had a change of heart when he turns to Jesus after earlier mocking him and laughing at him, making fun of him, have no intention of turning his life. Now he turns to him and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Listen, there are lots of great examples in the Bible of great faith, but I think this guy's faith ranks right up there with him. Do you know why? Because there is nothing in this situation that would say to him, this is going to end well. He's hanging on a cross, and the guy he's placing his faith in is, is hanging there right beside him, bloody and beaten and nails driven through him, and he's hanging there, and then this guy's going to die. And he says to him, remember me when you come in your kingdom? F-A-I-T-H. Because he doesn't look like a king at that moment. But it was granted. It came to him. He received it. Forgiveness. Don't miss the fact that the veil was torn. Darkness falls over the earth and the veil was torn. The veil that it's referring to was in the, was in the temple, the Jewish temple there in Jerusalem. The veil 
separated what was called the holy place from the holy of holy places. It was a, it was a giant curtain. It was incredibly thick. And it represented the separation between holy God and man. In the sacrificial system there in the temple, the priests could go into the holy place. And they could, they could do the, the priestly rites and the things that they had to do. But they could not go into the holy of holy places. They could not go behind the veil. Only one priest, in fact, could go behind the veil. And that was the high priest. And the high priest could only go behind the veil one day a year. Did you know that? Only one day a year could even go into the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur, on Day of Atonement. And on the Day of Atonement, the high priest could go in his white priestly robe, would go behind the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holy places, He would go behind the veil and he would go into the Holy of Holies. And there in the Holy of Holies, and you kind of see in that illustration up on the top, you might can see that, sat the Ark of the Covenant. Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know what I'm talking about? That Ark of the Covenant. It sat in the Holy of Holies. And it was the place where God came down and would meet his people. And the high priest on Yom Kippur would go behind the veil and he would take the blood of an innocent animal... That had been shed and he would sprinkle with a, with, with a hyssop tree, leaves, bush. He would sprinkle on the, the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. Which was symbolized where God came down and sat and met his people. And he would sprinkle blood on the Ark of the Covenant. And the people's sins would be atoned or covered for that year. Every year they had to do it. And they would be atoned. Again, not a useless piece of trivia. That Luke says, and the veil was torn. uh, Matthew 27 and I think Mark 15 specifically say that the veil was torn from top to bottom. Symbolizing that this was a God thing. This was God's work. God was doing this thing. God was tearing the veil away. And literally as Jesus hung on the cross that day. You can read the other accounts in Matthew's. The earthquake. The veil is torn. This was God saying, won't be needing this anymore. And he ripped it apart. He says, now man has access to me because my son has shed his innocent blood. He has acted as high priest. He's gone behind the veil and he has sacrificed not the blood of an innocent animal, but his own innocent blood. He has shed for you so that your sins could not just be covered, but that they could be taken away. Complete forgiveness was provided that day at the cross. And the veil was torn and access was given, and you and I can come into the very presence of God as a result of what Christ did for us. I don't know why he did it. I just know he did it. I'm grateful that he did it. And I intend to live my life telling others about what he has done and live my life to his honor and to his glory. Not everybody accepts it. Many, quite honestly, will reject it. I remember being in, uh, in a revival service one time. I was preaching somewhere down uh, near the coast, somewhere out near the coast. It was just some small, tiny little country church. And on the last night of the revival, um, I, I didn't know this at the time, but at the last night of the revival, a guy came to church that never came to church. This guy was like it was a small town, so you know how small towns are. Um, everybody knew. This guy was like the town, he was like Billy Bob Bad Boy. 
Y'all know what I'm saying? Of the town. Everybody knew that. He was always getting fights. He was always getting drunk. He was always, you know, he, and, and Billy Bob Bad Boy came to church that night. And everybody was, the whole church apparently, I found out about this later, but the whole church was in a stir. They're in a buzz. Billy Bob Bad Boy is here. Billy Bob Bad Boy is here. And they couldn't figure out how because they were pretty sure none of them had invited him. Because Billy Bob never wanted to have anything to do with church. Why would I possibly invite him? He doesn't, he, he makes, he don't want to come to church. But there he was. I, I still, nobody ever knew why he was there, but there he was. And he wasn't just there. He sat on the very front row. And like I said, it was a real tiny little church. And it was, was kind of like, you know, we're in the red curtain days right now. So we're like pushed forward. And it was like this. There was like two and a half feet between the, the platform where I was and the front row where Billy Bob was sitting. And that night, I, I just, I brought this very strong evangelistic message and talked about the sacrifice Christ made and this, this offering that's, that's offered up for us that whosoever will can come to him and receive redemption and forgiveness if they would, if they would recognize their sinfulness, turn from their sinfulness, trust Christ as Lord and Savior, and I, and I, was, I was just preaching it. And at the end of the service, as we often do here, we had, a, we had a time of response, we had an altar call, and Billy Bob didn't come forward. After the service, the pastor came up and he was telling me all how Billy Bob was there. I'm sorry, that's not his name, but that's just what I'm calling him. Uh, that, that Billy Bob was there, and, and he just couldn't believe that he was, they, they wouldn't respond and, and all this kind of stuff. And, then, and I, he said something I'll never forget. He said, because it was hilarious, about two and a half feet. He said he was two and a half feet from heaven, but he's bound for hell. And I, I was thinking, I wonder someday in hell, in the reality of hell, how many people at some time in their life were two and a half feet from heaven? How many people had a friend share with them Listen, I, I'm not judging. I'm just telling you, here's what God's done in my life. He's changed my life. And can I just share with you? What, how many people have heard that? How many people maybe were handed a track or an iVite card? How many people came into a church service and listened to some preacher get up and rant and rave about what Jesus had done and they didn't respond? How many people will be in hell who are two and a half feet from heaven? Complete forgiveness was offered at the cross and it's still available. It happened 2,000 years ago but its effect is still present today. What an amazing scene. What an amazing Savior. It's hard to imagine anyone offering forgiveness to those who had so mistreated them. But I guess that's why they call God's grace amazing. The repentant thief recognized that there was something different about Jesus, and he turned to him in faith. Jesus certainly didn't disappoint him with those wonderful words, Today you will be with me in paradise. As Pastor Clay said, those must have been the sweetest words that man ever heard. If it's been a while since you've thanked Jesus Christ for his sacrifice, why not take a moment to just appreciate the love of God? We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. 
Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.